Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Janice Wolf. Hey, how's everybody doing? Again, it's Friday. I don't know. That keeps happening. But I guess it's good that it keeps happening because if it doesn't, that means we wouldn't be here. Some people maybe shouldn't, but I think most of us should. And you guys tune in every week to learn more information that you didn't know before. And uh, keep the questions coming, too, because that's super helpful. But today I'm going to talk, actually, we're going to start out with talking about different things for dogs to chew on because I get so many questions. As you all know, I'm a behaviorist. I've been canine and equine behaviorist for more years and uh, more decades than I would like to admit, but it's handy. So I'm going to start talking to you today about what you should do for your dogs, especially if you have a dog who tends to like to chew on inappropriate things. And I'm not talking about fingers and arms and socks when your foot is in them, we can work on that too. But I'm talking about what do you do when you have a dog who's, let's say, got a bad bite, not meaning the dog has been bitten or has bitten someone, but a bad bite, meaning his dentition, yes, that's a word, dentition, meaning the way his teeth are set up in his mouth could potentially be causing this problem of chewing when the dog is past its puppy phases certainly past a year of age. So what do dogs need to do? Well, think about those of you who have children or those of you who've babysat before, and you know that there's that time that that screaming child or that whining child or your husband, somebody is whining or screaming because they're in pain. So tooth pain can be a real problem. And there's so many mixed breed dogs and even purebred dogs with issues we tend to see a lot of the dogs who have either a noticeable overbite or a noticeable underbite, meaning if you think about howdy doody with those buck teeth that come out over the top or a horse, you think about the horse caricature where the, the front top teeth are over a lot. Well, the tooth position is important, but also the way the entire jaw is set up. So when you say, Oh, my dog's chewing on everything. What is it? It's a Shih Tzu, Poodle, Bichon mix. Okay. A Pushit Sean. Okay, whatever that is. But think about that. You have Poodles that usually have a good bite, but Bichons can have a funky bite if they're not well-bred. And certainly, certainly some of the other breeds that go into it, like Shih Tzu, Brussels Griffon, Boxers, um, dogs who tend to have, and that's either an underbite or an overbite. An underbite is when you, the, it's like kind of the bottom jaw is kind of overshot and kind of goes almost too far forward so that the, um, the actual bite of the dog, like if the dog did a bite plate, the dog would actually make kind of a backward sideways kind of a bite plate. Um, and that isn't a really good thing because what happens is the dog keeps hitting the, um, the, the teeth. Like instead of your being able to just chew, you would be hitting the other teeth besides your molars when you're chewing. So one of the ways we call that is canine malocclusion. So malocclusion, occlude is to close. Right, like you, if your arteries are occluded, it means they're closed off. That's not a good thing. 
mal, male, meaning in Latin, meaning bad. So if you take, let's say, a bulldog, an Irish, uh, I'm sorry, an English bulldog, if you take a French bulldog, if you take a pug, if you take a, some of the like other breeds, like some of the Shih Tzus do that, what can happen and how do you fix that? So those issues um, with those kind of dogs can sometimes be resolved if the dog or when the dog is being spayed or neutered, if there's a tooth or teeth that are really in a bad spot, um, you can actually have them removed or filed down. Usually they'll just remove it. Now, I don't really recommend that because obviously we don't want to put a dog under anesthesia, but when your dog, and, and I'm not a big fan of spaying and neutering at six months, I think you wait longer, certainly wait till a year if you can, unless you have behavioral issues that are kind of uh, uh, preventing you from keeping the dog intact for that period of time. But let's just say that your dog has malocclusion. Let's say your dog has an underbite, meaning that his bottom teeth, kind of thinking like a bulldog or a pug or a French bulldog, the underside, the bottom jaw is too big almost. So think about it as the bottom jaw kept growing and the top jaw stopped. So it's not the really a great situation, but the bigger issue is what do you do if your dog has an underbite? Sometimes overbites can cause problems because the lower jaw, the teeth in the lower jaw can actually go up and actually literally go into the soft palate on the top of the mouth. That's in a moment. I'm going to talk about that. But for underbites, the teeth that are in the top can actually come down and go into the gums from the bottom. So in other words, the teeth are bothering the dog and the dog is almost in a situation where he's constantly teething. This is why, as a canine and equine behaviorist, I always look to veterinarians first. Veterinarians, you're a veterinarian, and if you don't like your local vet, then get a different one. But your local vet, and try to stick with the same one, even if you're at a, a large place, see if you can get the same one, because the same vet is going to have a good view of how your dog has been developing, and you get a, a relationship, a rapport, and that, to me, is a very, very important thing. So let's say your dog has an underbite. So what can you do? Well, if you see, because normally the, the bottom jaw can continue to grow a little bit more than the top. So if you have a dog who's got an overbite, meaning the top of the jaw, the top jaw that's actually the maxilla, is, which is the part that's attached to your skull, that part, if that, <laughs> that tends to grow, sometimes it can continue to grow a little bit more after the dog is pretty mature. So I like to wait a little bit on that and make sure that before you're spaying or neutering your dog, um, unless it's an emergency, obviously, uh, that when you spay or neuter your dog at somewhere 10 or 12 months of age, if any of the teeth do not look like they're lined up right and it doesn't look like they're coming in and then they're going to be in the right position, you can speak with your veterinarian and authorize your veterinarian to pull those teeth if need be. Sometimes it will resolve itself, but 
for the most part, once you're at 10 or 12 months of age, they're not going to go too much um, in either direction. So if you do have a dog that has issues when it's 10 or 12 months of age, you're probably going to be doing with that issue for a long time, if not permanently. Now, when you have a dog who has an overbite where the maxilla, the top part, the mandible is the bottom part, right? so the maxilla is over, is larger or longer or wider than the, than the mandible, um, usually the top teeth, the, the canines, the incisors, are past where the jaw is. But the problem is that the lower canines, particularly if they don't kind of curve out a little bit, those lower canines now go up into the soft palate of the dog, which is not a good thing. Uh, can cause a lot of issues later on in life. It can cause all kinds of things. So what do you do? Okay, so let's say it's not bad enough that your vet needs to really control it or remove teeth or anything like that. Let's say you're just thinking to yourself, all right, what do I do? My dog's going to chew a little bit and he's not going to stop chewing things. All right, I can deal with that. Now, we've talked in the past, and I'm going to go back through that. We've talked quite a bit in the past about what is an appropriate chew toy. Well, what are some inappropriate chew toys? Well, first of all, some of you are listening because you want to learn about medical things and care and, and issues like that, which are great. But some of you are listening, many of you are listening, because you got a dog with behavioral issues. And one of the big ones is chewing up your house. I actually had in New York City a young man. He was about 30. He had a very pretty uh, male French bulldog. He got a phone call one day from his next-door neighbor, literally next-door neighbor who shared a wall with him. It was a very, very thick, maybe 14- or 16-inch concrete wall, plaster wall, like solid wall, not just a piece of sheetrock. And he got a phone call from his neighbor that, your dog is in my apartment, I have your dog. And this young man said, What's he doing in your in your room, in your apartment? How did he get there? Like, was he in the hallway? And he said, no, he actually chewed through the wall. So he chewed through the wall between your apartment and mine, and um, he's here. I don't know what we should do with him. Uh, I'll keep him here till you get back. Well, the young man went back, and he gathered up his dog and called me. Now, why did that happen? Well, first of all, Think about trying to scoop sand at the beach. If you were trying to scoop sand, would you want to have something that comes over the top or would you have to want prefer to have something that went from underneath that was able to take more? Now, dogs with an underbite tend not to make, like even if they bite you, they, they make a weird pattern that's hard to get really strong compression injuries because there's just no matching up of the teeth. The reason that canines are, are so difficult and canines can go into your skin so much is the way they're lined up. If a dog only had top teeth or only bottom teeth, you're going to only get scraped because they can't put pressure. Typically, they can't put enough pressure to pierce the skin. Now, if they have very razor-sharp 
you know, incisors or canines and they can put pressure with the bottom jaw, yes, that you could potentially get bitten. But the reason that things are so difficult is that that opposites, right? You have the top that goes against the bottom and it's for gripping and holding and tearing. So now think about this poor dog who doesn't have the ability because his underjaw, his mandible is so much larger and juts out. So they can scoop things almost like you would do with um, a bucket loader. They scoop it from underneath. So these dogs, a lot of them will go after the walls. They'll chew on your walls, your moldings, uh, you know, weird things that you can't even believe, like a TV stand or your cabinets or pretty much anything. I've seen dogs even go after bricks. Um, A little bizarre, but, you know, you figure, why are they doing it? Well, they're doing it because their teeth aren't lined up and their teeth are bothering them. So just think about if you eat something that has a lot of stringiness in it, all right, like maybe a particular meat or uh, there's something that's very long and stringy, like sometimes seafood, calamari can do that, where it's a stringy feeling and you get it stuck between two teeth and you keep feeling that and it's like, oh, you got to get it out. You try to pull it out. You try to brush your teeth. You can't get it out. And it puts a little pressure on the tooth. Now, you guys, I'm sure everybody has done that at some point or you broke a tooth. How would you resolve that for yourself, right? So what puppies and dogs will chew on something to try to get that foreign feeling out of their mouth. So they might chew first on the bars to their crate, and maybe that doesn't do it. So then they might chew on a wall, and then that doesn't do it. And then they might chew on a soft toy, and that doesn't do it. And then they might chew on a bully stick, and that doesn't do it. So that they're trying to just basically not have that pain from poor dentition. So when you're looking at what can you use for your dog, I tell people, make sure you first think about what type of object or type of toy, what type of item is there that the dog is typically going after. Is the dog going after pencils? Well, then you need something long, hard, and thin to be able to give to the dog like another stick. Um, I'm going to give you a few different options for things. You can even use a bully stick for that um, if the dog doesn't get protective or possessive of that. Um, If the dog is chewing or working with his incisors in the front, he might try to chew your furniture or or rip a toy apart. Or he might try to chew up his bed because that feeling, that stringy feeling or that uncomfortable feeling is coming from his incisors, which are the front teeth that cut, the ones that you bite with that you can bite something in half. So you want to look at what is the dog actually chewing on. And especially even with a puppy, especially, you want to really focus on whatever it is. If it's something that you say, wow, it's not like a particular thing. It's kind of anything. Sometimes it can also be nutritional. So we will definitely talk about that in a minute. But let's talk about like saying, okay, it's the teeth. So we know it's the teeth. Sometimes you'll see the dogs will actually get their teeth stuck 
or their jaws stuck in the metal of the metal crates, which is why I say if your dog is a big chewer or, or is teething, the met wire crates are not always good. I'd rather have them in an airline crate because the airline crate, they can't do that and they can't hurt themselves. I've seen dogs literally get stuck in an air, in a uh, metal wire crate um, and get their jaws stuck or, you know, and some of you may have heard it. I mean, it's, it, they scream because they get their whole jaw stuck. So then you have to grab them and, you know, try to get the dog to stop moving and screaming while you've got this dog attached by the, by the jaw. It's usually the bottom jaw while he's ripping his jaw up and ripping his teeth and gums up. So think about what your dog typically is going for. And it might vary by the time of day, by the developmental stage. Typically puppies, young, young puppies, what works with them is if you, and of course, always supervised, um, but young puppies are very, very helped by either those little blue teething, uh, not like a ring. They do have some of them that are rings too. But it's like a little teething thing with the blue gel in like you have in the sports packs if, and it's cold. You put that in the freezer and let it freeze up. And I tell everybody buy two or three of them so that you always have, even if one is out, you have another one ready to go. And what that does is twofold. It helps the dog to cut its teeth, let the teeth come in. First, it lets the dog cut its teeth, um, and that's helpful because of the texture, but it also helps because it's cold. So it helps relieve the pain that the puppy has. Now, some of the people in, um, you know, in the audience are going to know, and you're going to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, we... We used um, something like that for our, you know, our daughter or our son when he or she was young. That's exactly it. So those things are great. They're just called puppy teething rings, and you can find one, I'm sure, pretty much anywhere. Um, and you, you can even, I, I wouldn't say use the one for kids because, you know, children don't have quite as the pounds per square inch um, that some dogs have. But that's the idea is to get that kind of a teething ring because that teething ring will be able to help for your dog to not have that excruciating pain. But now what do you do when that dog grows up and, you know, now the dog is two years old and he's still chewing up everything? And you say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get rid of him. No. There are some really cool new things that have come out in the last couple of years. I remember when bully sticks first came out. Yep, they uh, they have not always been out. They're great. Um, people ask me, oh, it's a beef tendon. That's what the lady at the store that charged me $20 for one of these things, um, she said it's a beef tendon. And I was like, well, yeah, you could, I guess, say that's technically a muscle. Um, you know, bulls have them, cows don't. And then they get, oh, my goodness, my dog is eating a bull penis. That's terrible. Well... Uh, they are, if you get the good ones, like, uh, you know, Red Barn, it makes a good one, or some of the high-end ones, uh, Natural Cravings, makes some really good ones. There are some high-end ones. I would rather see you get one or two of the high-end ones instead of going on, you know, cheapestgarbagebullysticks.com, because those things sometimes have bugs. Um, they're much cheaper quality. They're not as thick. 
Um, and even a small dog can have one that's, you know, almost kind of too big for the dog because they will break down in, in kind of a string. It's a pretty cool uh, and helpful thing for you guys. What I do also, um, I tell people the best thing to do if you have young kids around because you don't want the, the kids touching those things or the dogs licking the kids' faces for about 15, 20 minutes after they've finished playing with a bully stick, what you can do is actually when your dog is done playing, don't leave the bully stick out. You can just put it in your freezer in a Ziploc bag. And then when, you know, you need to give your dog something again, not only is it cold and not growing bacteria, uh, but it's also um, going to last longer because the dog isn't going to be, you know, just destroying it constantly. And those things are pretty expensive. Now, there are some others. Um, there are some rawhides. There, you have to be very careful with a rawhide, and the shape is what the problem is. So if you have a rawhide, and it's a, like a flip chip, right, where it's a flat and very, very hard, and it's not puffed up, those can really get lodged into a dog's intestines or its uh, stomach. It is not a great thing to give those flip chips. They do, again, some of the better brands. I've seen two of them. There's, I get the ones. They're, uh, they're like um, puffed up, almost like pressure cooker. So instead of the flat chip being maybe an eighth or, a, you know, three-eighths of an inch, a quarter of an inch thick and hard, hard, hard where you could never break it and you could never even put a dent in it, the puffed ones, uh, you'll see they're thicker, but they're thicker because they're basically, I guess, pressure cooked. They're treated so they expand. And it's kind of like the same thing as if you take the Himalayan shoes, uh, which are also a good thing, except you do have to be careful. Some of the brands really do crack up. Um, so if you have the Himalayan shoes um, and, you know, you put them into the microwave, they kind of explode and expand. Well, while they're exploding and expanding, think about the same basic process with the rawhides. So the rawhides, they expand them out so that the rawhide is now thicker but it's much more porous, P-O-R-O-U-S, porous, um, so that it is um, then able to be digested and it won't have those sharp edges that are going to go through and potentially get stuck or slow down everything, the movement, peristaltic action in the intestines. So um, what you want to look for is, the, like I said, bully sticks are okay, um, you can look for the rolled beef cheek rawhide. Those are fine. The material is fine. Just don't go cheap on these things. It's better for you to give your dog whatever that better brand is, um, cleaner without all the crud on it. It's better for you to buy, let's say, a, a $15 bully stick and take it away after the dog eats a half an inch of it each day that thing will last you for a week or two versus giving him a constant bully stick. Because remember, you're also adding a ton of calories. If you have a dog who tends towards the voluptuous uh, kind of, you know, sexy big side, the fluffy side, you don't want to give him bully sticks because they're pretty greasy and 
also they're you know they can be kind of gross if you have carpeting um they're not the really most appetizing smell either so they kind of smell like what they are we'll leave it at that gold penises um so you're basically going to look for things that are going to be similar to what the dog has been chewing on except no squeaky toys if your dog has a behavioral issue if your dog doesn't have behavioral issues and you have the perfect dog then you can do whatever you want but if you have a dog that has behavioral issues that's overly prey driven um, a dog that perhaps is aggressive in other ways or doesn't play nicely with others don't give them things that are going to mimic his killing prey and if certainly if you have guinea pigs or mice you know pet mice or pet rat or a snake or you know pet bunny you probably don't want to teach him to kill the animal and squeak 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 it because when you're squeaking it all and that's basically the animal screaming for its life and then when your dog pulverizes that squeaker and it no longer squeaks that's when he rips it open and unstuffs it and you go to the store and buy two for 3.99 for squeakers you put the new squeaker in you spend a half hour stitching up the old toy and you give it to him and he does the same exact thing every day why are you giving him things with squeaky toys if you're going to give him something that's soft give him maybe a rope toy or something with the hooves, even though the hooves on their own aren't the greatest. Um, give them something that has different textures, but rope toys, good rope toys, like the Buddha brand, and there's some other ones, B-O-O-D-A. Uh, there's some other ones that are good. Try to get everything made in America if you can. Um, then there are also some other newer products that have come out. So we have, obviously, deer antlers, elk antlers. Those are good. Um, there's nothing wrong with those. They tend to be a little pricey, but they last a long time. And if you want one that's really going to last a long time, don't get one that's split. The ones that are split are not quite as hard because the center of the horns or of the antlers are going to be softer, more like bone marrow, and the outside are going to be hard. So the outside hard ones, that part, is definitely going to last a whole lot longer than the inside. So if there's a, you go, oh, look at this one, it's great, it's split. It's fine, but remember then it doesn't shatter or split or splinter, but just remember that the dog is going to be able to rip into that a lot quicker because it's a softer consistency. It's not necessarily bad, but it is softer and it, you are going to go through it a lot more. Now, that brings us to rubber toys now rubber or plastic nylabone things like that those are fine but just remember all those little tiny chunks of plastic that you see that make it sharp and you see that it's kind of like little sharp plastic pieces where are the other little sharp tiny plastic pieces if they're not in your rug or on your floor they're in your dog and if they're in your dog they could potentially perforate um, an intestine or the rectum, or the, you know, different areas within the digestive tract, and they're so tiny that you might not even notice. Even if you x-ray, you might not see it. So be careful with those. Just They're fine. Uh, just make sure you're supervising them. Okay. 
Now, the last thing, or one of the last, the penultimate thing I'm going to talk about is this new thing I have tried, and I actually really think they're great. I've never done anything like this, but it's um, it's really cool. They're called dog chew sticks made of coffee tree wood. Canofera, C-A-N-O-P-H-E-R-A. Canofera. So the cool thing is that these things do not have caffeine. They don't really splinter. And if you have a dog who is, you know, looking at chewing things like sticks and branches and furniture, it can also be nutritional. But I gave my Ridgeback puppies, who are just a year old, one, each one got a stick. That was about three weeks ago. They still each have the same one. There's little pieces. But the little pieces, it's not like when you rip off a branch from a tree and, you know, there's a, a three-foot area. that That's how big the splinter is. This tree wood, C-A-N-O-P-H-E-R-A, this tree wood, for whatever reason, reminds me of kind of like a bully stick. It comes off in little pieces. So if they eat it, it's digestible because it's wood, like eating a paper towel, right? But they, my guys don't seem to be eating it. They just seem to be chewing on it. And for first of all, if you've got a lot of dogs, you know, $15 a clip bully stick is a lot. And I have other kind of chews. You know, five, six, seven dollars. It's fine if you have one dog, but when you start having, like we have at our ranch, you know, 45 dogs, we cannot afford to give a four dollar treat to, you know, 40 something dogs. So spend, you know, 160 to 200 dollars a day on, you know, chewing things. No, not going to happen. Plus, a lot of these other things have been giving dogs diarrhea or upset stomach or even gastritis or colitis. So um, look at the different options. There really are a lot of great things out there now. This wood is safe, and especially if your dog tends toward, like if you have a lab or a golden, really tends toward being a heavy chewer, these things are pretty amazing. Um, what I love about them, I actually have one right here. They're all um, basically like with, I guess they use some kind of belt sander or something, and the, all the little joints where you would normally have a little branch, they're all sanded down. So it's really smooth. And it's almost like a little piece of furniture. But it's a very interesting, and that would be a great thing for you to try. Now, going back to the things that might not be related to, you know, malocclusion or poor dentition, which a lot of your mixed-breed dogs and your puppy mill and backyard breeders they don't care if they have the full dentition. They don't care how that all works. Um, sometimes, and probably more often than not, dogs will be chewing or eating organic material, meaning anything from grass to wood chips to shavings to countersurfing and eating lettuce or, you know, whatever you could imagine that dogs will eat. Um, and then they're also always hungry. So they're not satiated. So when a dog isn't satiated, meaning it's still hungry because it's not satisfied by what it is eating because the nutrients in it are not being absorbed, there are other things that you should try. My recommendation is a real high-quality vitamin and uh, mineral supplement 
The one I happen to use is called NuVet, N-U-V-E-T. It's NuVet plus canine wafers. They also make the joint um, supplement that's called New Joint, N-U-J-O-I-N-T. Great product. They have great shampoos. I have pretty much everything here, all the supplements and shampoos and even ear wipes. Everything they have is just really top-notch. I love the, the company. Um, and they have really great products. Um, there is an order code. If you want to order, you, you have to have a code. Um, you can't order it without that. Um, you can also sometimes find your veterinarian or um, sometimes a good dog breeder will, um, will be able to help you with that. But um, the code that you can use to save 15% is 86686. And that's 86686. And normally you want to give one per 50 pounds of body weight. Um, they say you can go up to 100 pounds, but honestly, they're all water-soluble. I'd rather make sure that my dog is getting everything he or she needs. If the dog has any kind of health issues, autoimmune issues, or um, other kind of things, it's getting older, um, you can double that dosage. You can do one for every 25 pounds. These are vitamins. There's no corn, wheat, soy, BHA, BHC byproducts, any crap in it like some of those other pet tablets, which are made with wheat and kaolin, which is, you know, kaolin and pectin is kaopectate. So, you know, why do you have to give your dog that? It's because the wheat isn't good for them. So look at what your dog is chewing, what your dog needs, and then start to think about, you know, vitamins and a vitamin supplement. Um, and also a little bit more about what the things are that you particularly are noticing that your dog is trying to chew. And then from that point on, you'll have a better idea and a better judgment of what you should replace that item with. Now, when you're actually doing that and you're going to give a different item, let's say your dog picks up your, your, your five-year-old, you know, Ticonderoga number two pencil and is chewing on it. Don't give him a stuffed toy because he's saying, I need something that's hard that I can get between my teeth. So that's where you could grab a bully stick or one of these tree woods um, or uh, even a nylabone or something else. If the dog is trying to chew on the couch cushion or ripping up his bed, then give him something that has a softer thing, kind of like, you know, a, a rope toy some of the rope toys are actually really good. The rope toys that have kind of unraveled at the end for the, for the end inch or two, that has a very similar feel for a dog to um, insulation or, or stuffing um, and other things that they may be going for. So um, we're done with this half of the show, and we'll be right back in a minute with our From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. Stay tuned. And welcome back. Bruiser and I uh, are here, and we're going to talk about service dog training. And today I'm going to go through a little bit, since last time we spoke, about different traits that are good for your dog to have if you want the dog to be a, become a service dog. Uh, you have to also look at the ability of the dog and what you're particularly going to need. Because if you don't understand what you're looking for and what 
skills or tasks you're going to train your dog to do, then you're not going to have the right dog. The key is making sure that whatever you do, that you have the dog who has the right qualifications, which we've talked about previously. And I want to go through a little bit about some of the skills and tasks that are important for any dog. Let's go into public access first, because public access is perhaps the most important of all skills. And it's not a single skill. Public access, I believe it's best to train your dog first and just make sure that your dog isn't skittish or overly dominant. But public access is something that you're going to be practicing for the rest of the dog's life. If you say to me, well, you know, my dog is great in a supermarket, but he's terrible in an airport. Well, then your dog is not qualified to be a service dog. A service dog must be able to be pretty much unreactive, completely non-reactive to any loud noises, to people in trench coats, to aluminum foil, to balloons, to honking geese, to toddlers running up to them, pulling their tails, to, you know, things falling out of the sky, to thunderstorms to pretty much anything, and they should be very, very solid. Now, if a dog is a solid dog, how can you ruin that dog? And we talked about this before as well. I'll tell you how you can ruin that dog. People going through, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, people going through a divorce can definitely create a lot of problems. You create problems for the kids. You, because you know you're not in the right energy and right state of mind, you can make your dog very anxious or nervous, and then the dog picks up on you. So you have to be able to keep that consistency. It's also, it only takes, I always joke, it takes about two weeks to ruin a dog. Well, some people have a rare ability to do it in a couple of days. I've seen people do it in a couple of hours. So what do you do, and how do you get your dog? to be able to do public access without ruining him and overdoing it. Well, first of all, always end on a positive note. If it's a bad day and it's a, there's a bad thunderstorm and your dog is a little sensitive, that is not a day to go outside and train. You, Those are the days you go inside and you train because you don't want to take a chance that something's going to happen. There's going to be, a, you know, first of all, that you're going to get hit by lightning uh, or that the thunder is going to be, so loud that you're going to have kind of a negative all the way around. The key for me is make sure that the dog has a good positive experience and build on that. So for instance, let's say you're trying to build up to dogs being in a thunderstorm. So you're going to start at home, start in a happy place where the dog feels comfortable, where the dog feels safe and secure. Once you get your skill in that location, let's say you're going to do uh, a downstay we call safe spot. Let's say you're going to do that. So have your dog in that downstay or safe spot for, let's say, one minute or let's say 30 seconds if it's a young dog or you're just starting. Once you get to that 30-second mark, you bring him up out of that and okay him out or give him his whatever release command you want to give. And then the dog says, oh, wow, that was really nice. Now, the other thing is, if your dog sits down or lies down on his own, you want to reach down and pet. 
Do not focus on giving him cookies because then he's just going to start trying to get bribed and he'll do things when you have cookies and he won't do them when they don't have cookies. And I hear that from owners all the time. My dog is the best trained dog in the world, but when I don't have a cookie, he looks at me like, like I'm an idiot. Well, no, I call that the middle paw. He's giving you the middle paw. He's saying, F you, buddy. I love you, but I'm not doing anything unless you're giving me a treat. So that is not really a service dog, right? That's just a well-trained pet because a service dog has to do things automatically. There are too many places out there who have popped up. They're here one day. They're gone the next. They're here two years. They're gone the next. And they don't know how to train dogs. And by the time people figure that out, they're out of business and they, you know, they're going out and they're selling used cars or doing something. We've been around for, oh my gosh, since the 1980s, long time. And the key is making sure that you train a lot of dogs. It's hard because most of you who are self-training, and that's a great thing, most of you haven't had the experience of training 5, 10, 15, 20, or, or in my case, tens of thousands of dogs. So you make mistakes, but sometimes the mistakes that you're making are going to cause the problems for the dog because all of a sudden the dog isn't able to, to do what you want it to do because he's keying on the wrong command that you're giving him. So don't worry about sit and down and all that. Think about what you want to do and how you want to reinforce your commands or reinforce the behavior better yet. If the dog sits down on his own, don't tell him sit and then pet him. Just pet him. You don't need to tell him anything. So every time your dog sits, unless you're doing a mobility dog, every time your dog sits, you reach down and pet him. So what is he learning? He's learning that, oh, if I want to get petted, I sit. Now, this can go and carry through not just with a dog who isn't going to be jumping on your guest, but the dog actually says, oh, we stopped here, we stop, and I sit down, I get petted. And all of a sudden, your dog is trained to sit when you stop. And how about you're standing there for 30 seconds or a minute, and now your dog gets tired of standing and he lays down. What happens then? Well, kind of the same thing. The dog is going to, um, you know, basically be laying down on his own. You're going to reach down. You're going to pet the dog. Don't get him excited and amped up. Don't be like, oh, Fluffy, I'm so proud of you, because then he's going to get up again, and then you can't keep petting him. So when he sits down, you're going to pet him. If he lays down, you're going to pet him even more. Just that's enough. You don't have to say anything beyond that unless your dog hates to be touched, in which case he's probably not going to be a good service dog anyway. But that's, it's that simple. But it's the timing of everything. You have to make sure that your timing is appropriate. If you're off with your timing, for instance, let's say, you know, you're, you know, the dog sits down and, you know, 15 seconds later you pet him, he may not actually uh, join those two and connect those two dots. He may not think like, oh, wait, I sat down and now I got petted. He might just think it's random that you just decided to pet him. So make sure things are properly timed. Any kind of corrections has to be timed and should happen 
for no longer than three seconds, and it should happen no longer than 10 seconds after that ha- whatever incident occurred. So let's say your dog jumps on you and you don't correct it. You cannot then correct it five minutes later or even one minute later because the dog doesn't remember what it did a minute or five minutes before. But what you can do, of course, is you can get really good timing so that when the dog goes to jump and you correct him, and then instead of jumping, he sits or lies down, then you can pet him because now he says, oh, wait a minute, I was sitting, and now all of a sudden, now I'm getting petted. So it's timing. It's a timing issue. Make sure that your timing is impeccable. Your timing has to be spot on. So if something happens, let's say the dog jumps, you correct them immediately and you correct for no longer than three seconds and then it's all over. Do not go right back to doing what you were doing. Wait a few seconds for the dog to process, which is usually when you'll see them licking, yawning, panting, shaking off and stretching. And when they're doing that, and they're kind of coming back to you and learning and kind of figuring it out, those are the times specifically that are going to be learning moments. So he's thinking to himself, oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, go and do this or that or whatever it is. And if he starts doing something bad, then all you have to do is correct him in that moment and let it go. And then when you have your new moment, that's the time when you want to continue on and pet him. So in the new moment, if the dog is, you know, being very good and, uh, you know, is sitting or lying down, then those moments are the moments that you should be reaching down and petting the dog. Whether you're training the dog to be a service dog or just a good pet, those are things that you want to teach because it's very nice when you actually have a dog who is very cooperative, a dog who's not jumping on people, a dog who's not barking at people or other dogs. So all of these different things that, you know, we typically tend to do with dogs, we're doing them wrong. Why are we giving dogs cookies for sitting or why are we trading off when a dog let's say, steals, you know, your socks or your remote control or the toilet paper roll or whatever, when the dog is grabbing that, and that can be nutritional too, which is another reason for the vitamins, um, but that can be nutritional. Now you're starting to chase your dog around. So he says, aha, all I have to do if I want to play and they don't want to play is I just grab something they want. And then I run around and I get to play and they do whatever I tell them. It's also something that is a reason we should not be playing tug of war because tug of war is you guys fighting with the dog over whatever food there is. And that in nature, that is not a good thing. We wouldn't actually be fighting over food because we have a hierarchy who eats first, who eats next, who eats next, and next, and next. So if we're fighting over something with tug-of-war, or if your dog whacks you on the leg and wants you to play and pull and tug with him, don't fall for that. That's like falling for one of those Nigerian, you know, scam schemes 
that they have out there or the, you know, new ones like, hey, we delivered a package and I think we delivered it to the wrong place. Can you, you know, give us your credit card information because uh, we can't spell the word immediately right. It's, it's pretty, pretty funny. Um, but think about that, making sure that you're giving your dog the appropriate items to play with, to chew. You're teaching your dog by capturing those moments and basically memorializing them by petting the dog. If the dog does something wrong, you're making a very quick correction and you're done and you move forward. And if you're trying to train skills, instead of training 20 different skills in a day when you're starting out, train one. Teach them one thing to worry about. We don't typically go to math class and learn math, English, Spanish, and phys ed in the same, you know, 45, 50-minute class. It doesn't mean that in a word problem, we can't have all of those different things referenced. But we even separate out what we're learning as humans so that we make sure that we can capture as much of that as is needed. So there are a lot of different ways to do it, but I would start out by training your dog to do one skill, one task, and then public access, take the dog out, With public access, do not put a vest on or any kind of a jacket until your dog knows not to be a jerk. If your dog is bouncing around and playing, do not put a service jacket or service vest on because then you're saying, oh, the vest doesn't mean anything. What is a good little trick for you guys to do that I think works very, very well is instead of putting the vest on when you leave your house, Bring the vest with you, flip it over your shoulder, work the dog, and when the dog calms down and is now really behaving, put the vest on then. You'll see what I'm talking about. Putting the vest on when the dog is already calm teaches him that the vest means something. If you put the vest on and the dog is bouncing around and jumping in the air and stealing food and dragging you all over, what did the vest really mean? And the answer is nothing. So start working on that. Start working on your public access. Start doing it slowly. Don't go out and start doing something new, you know, five minutes before you have to leave in the morning because you know you're setting yourself and your dog up for failure by doing that. We don't want for the dogs to have too much and to be overwhelmed because if they're overwhelmed or overwrought, They're going to shut down. If they shut down, they're not going to be a service dog. Don't overdo it. Don't give your dog so many things because you feel like doing them that your dog decides he's going to shut down. We don't want him to shut down. We want him to look forward to the next time, just like you look forward to the next episode of this show. If I kept going over and over and over and I never stopped and the show went on 24 hours a day, you would have to turn it off at some point. Don't do that to your dog. Don't turn your dog or make your dog turn it off from his end. You want to end while the dog is still interested, doing well, happy, you know, not having issues and, you know, that the dog is, um, you know, in a good comfort zone, that the dog is where you need him to be. And if you can do that and if you can do that successfully and just slowly, and give the dog whatever time it needs um, so that it can absorb the information 
It can incorporate that information into its brain, and it can understand all the different parts of the skill or the task. Remember that there's really not a single task that is only one task. If you're training a dog to do, let's say, a down stay, it's not a down stay. It's a listen to me. This is why we don't do this. Listen to me. Look at me. Pay attention to me. Sit down. After you're sitting, I want you to lie down, and I want you to keep looking at me. That's what that skill really consists of. So everything has multiples in it, and that's why you guys really have to think about what skills and tasks you want the dog to perform and make sure that you're fair with enough time, not rushing the dog through it, and not reinforcing it if it's not done well. If you're starting out and the dog, let's say the dog kind of sits and then it jumps back up, if you can pat pet the dog when the dog is sitting and the dog jumps up, stop petting him because now he's not in that same moment you wanted. All kinds of things. It takes decades to get really good and to really know what you're doing. Once you've trained hundreds and hundreds, even over a thousand service dogs, then you get really good. That's where I am. I know the mistakes people make. Don't want you to make that mistake with your baby. And unfortunately, here we are again at the zero hour. So I have to let you go. But please, 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 please have a great, happy, healthy week and enjoy all the things you have to do. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your puppy. And have a great weekend.